The Old Testament reading is from Genesis 17, verses 1 to 7, and 15 to 16. You can find them in the Pew Bibles on page 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase you your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, and I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is from the letter to the Romans, chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. Hear God's word. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world but through the righteousness that comes through faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. 
He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. People's convictions can lead them to do some pretty crazy things. There was a story in my local newspaper a while back about a woman whose faith was leading her to walk the entire length of the Appalachian Trail. Now, that's a trail of 3,500 kilometers that goes all along the mountains of the east coast of the United States, all the way from Georgia in the south to Maine in the north. Now, she brushed off the facts that she was 60 years old, 50 pounds overweight, out of shape, had serious foot problems, and only one working lung. But one of her pastor's sermons had inspired her to take this walk on the trail in order to raise money for a children's hospital in Africa. A few weeks later, there was a little follow-up piece in the paper. After walking for only three days, she had been carried off the trail. Now, of course, not all earnest and ill-advised acts of faith are so benign. Passion for a perverse understanding of Christianity has fueled the so-called Christian identity hate groups that believe that Europeans are God's chosen people and that others of a different faith or a darker skin should be treated like second-class human beings. The self-styled Islamic State has broadened its recruiting reach into the West by appealing to disaffected youth with the promise of a kind of faith that they say will give their life meaning and purpose. So you can understand how someone might be skeptical when they hear the Apostle Paul encouraging us to live a life of faith. Faith can be used to justify some questionable things. And how in the world do we sort it all out? Can you respond to God in faith without being irrational? Can we be passionate about what we believe without being fanatical? Well, let's be clear about what we mean when we talk about faith here. When Paul, in his letter to the Romans, speaks of faith, he means something specific, a particular kind of faith. He's not talking about faith in yourself or faith in your cause, or faith in your future. It's not the faith of Tinkerbell or Jiminy Cricket who says you just got to believe and then all your wishes will come true. No, Paul tells us to have faith in God whom we know through Jesus. That faith joins us with the work of God that God is doing to reclaim the world. It makes 
your life part of God's work? Abraham is an example of that kind of faith. Like many couples, Abraham and his wife Sarah wanted a child with all their heart. But by the time they reached their 90s, they had given up all hope. By then, even Viagra would not have helped. But when Abraham was 99 years old and Sarah was 90, God told them that they were going to have a son. Now, of course, that was a personal blessing, an answer to their prayers, but it was more than that. God told Abraham that he would be the ancestor of nations. And it was through his offspring that God was going to bless the whole world. God would make himself known through Abraham and Sarah's descendants, the people of Israel. And out of Israel, as we know, would come the Messiah, who gave himself to reclaim all of creation for God. God chose this couple whose biological clock had stopped ticking. Paul says Abraham's body was as good as dead. So there would be no question that it was God, not human strength or stamina that was responsible. And God chose two people who could not claim to deserve that kind of a blessing because of their good and righteous life. In one of those Bible stories that we don't usually teach our children in Sunday school, we learn that Abraham, when Abraham and Sarah were much younger, they had to migrate to Egypt because of a famine. Now, as we read so often in the news these days, uh, migrants sometimes have to do some desperate things in order to survive in a country where they're not especially welcome. Well, it just so happened that Sarah in her youth was very beautiful. And Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, saw her and he was attracted to her. Abraham told Pharaoh that, well, Sarah, Sarah's my sister. Why don't you take her for one of your wives? Because he wanted to get the special treatment that would come from being a member of the family. Well, when Pharaoh eventually found out what was what, he expelled them both from Egypt. And then years later, after Sarah had passed that certain age without a child, she gave her maid Hagar to Abraham so he could have a child by her. So this couple that God chose were not examples of physical or moral strength, but God chose them, blessed them, gave them faith, and made them an important part of God's plan to restore peace and justice and goodness to all creation. The rest of the Bible is more or less a continuation of that story. That same God who created the universe out of nothing and gave a son to a couple whose bodies were as good as dead, that same God keeps calling people often those of little standing or worldly merit, to have a part in that work of reclaiming humanity from the power of evil and death. When Israel was enslaved in Egypt, 
which by that time was the world's strongest power. God led them to freedom and gave them a promised land. God chose a shepherd boy to be their king and the ancestor of Jesus, even though David himself was no paragon of moral virtue, as we learned from the way he seduced Bathsheba and then killed her husband. And then at the right time, Christ died so that that promise to Abraham was extended to include all people, not just the direct descendants of Sarah and Abraham. Through Christ, that promise and that blessing God gave to Abraham was extended to us. And we receive it the same way Abraham did through faith. We have faith in Christ that God has promised us and made us a part of what God is doing to restore the world to himself. It's hard to imagine living a life of faith until you do. When I was eight years old, I could not even imagine living apart from my parents. It was just inconceivable. But by the time I was 17, I couldn't wait to get out of the house. And then something about my orientation changed so that what was once unthinkable became desirable. After I was out on my own, the thought of being married was just oppressive until I met the right person and then my whole orientation on life changed again. It was the same way with becoming a parent. It was unconceivable until it happened and now it's inconceivable not to be one. And I'm finding the same thing as I grow closer to retirement. I mean, it used to be something for old, worn-out people. But each year, it grows more and more appealing. There are just some things you can't understand unless you're caught up in them. And faith is one of those things. And faith is not something you enter into once, and then it stays the same. Like any relationship that's alive and growing, our relationship with the risen Christ grows as we're called more deeply into the work that he is doing. There's a story about how Martin Luther King Jr. was called more deeply into his faith. In 1955, one year after being called to be pastor of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Atlanta at the age of 25, he was chosen to be the spokesperson for the Montgomery Improvement Association. In those days, in the American South, there were laws that required that African Americans sit in the back of city buses. An African-American woman named Rosa Parks had recently been arrested for refusing to move from her seat in the front of the bus to the back where the law said she belonged. And the Montgomery Improvement Association was calling for a boycott of all the city buses until the laws were changed. Well, shortly after becoming the leader of that effort, King started receiving phone calls threatening his life and the lives of his wife and baby daughter. 
One night, a caller told him to leave within three days or his house was going to be firebombed. Unable to sleep, King went to the kitchen and made himself a cup of coffee. He prayed, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what is right. And I think I'm right. I think the cause I represent is right. But I'm weak now, and I'm faltering in my courage. And then he heard a voice saying, Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you always. King would later say that it was that assurance, that faith that sustained him through the struggle that lay ahead, which led to the Nobel Peace Prize, the dismantling of the American system of apartheid, and his eventual martyrdom. Another story. Kayla Mueller's faith drew her into God's work of reclaiming the world for love and justice when she was a young teenager. She uh, really found her calling when she volunteered at a homeless shelter. In high school, she organized a protest to raise awareness of the genocide that was going on at the time in Darfur. And she won recognition for her work with volunteer organizations that fight poverty. When she was a student at university, she was active in the campus ministry. She went on several mission trips where she saw what God is doing in places like India and Palestine. After college, she went to the Turkey-Syria border to work with a Danish refugee organization. The campus ministry at her university supported her financially. On August 3rd, 2013, she and a colleague went to a Doctors Without Borders uh, outpost on the Syrian border to repair an internet connection. On the way back to the bus station, they were captured by the Islamic State. No one heard from her until the following spring when her family received a letter that described how she found God's presence in a situation where many would find God's absence. She wrote them, I remember mom telling me that in the end, the only one you really have is God. I've come to a place where in every sense of the word, I have surrendered myself to our creator because literally there was no one else there. By God and by your prayers, I have felt tenderly cradled in free fall. I've been shown in darkness light and learned that even in prison one can be free. I'm grateful. I've come to see there's good in every situation. Sometimes we just have to look for it. I pray each day that if nothing else, you have a certain closeness and surrender to God as well and have formed a, bo a bond of love and support amongst one another. On February 15th, 2015, Kayla's family learned from the Islamic State that she had been killed. 
She was 26 years old. Her campus pastor, the Reverend Kathleen Day, said, I'm going to counsel my students that anyone can respond to suffering. It's okay if you never feel called to leave your community. You don't have to travel the world. Suffering is right before us everywhere, and we're just called to see it, to respond to it, and have an expression of joy and kindness and advocacy for all those who don't have a voice. That's what Kayla loved and practiced. Those are examples of how, through faith, we have that same power that shaped the cosmos guarding us, giving us strength, and drawing us to the work that Christ is doing to save the whole creation. Whatever Christ is up to, from redeeming your soul and mind from the power of sin, to bringing peace and hope to those who suffer, to breaking the shackles of oppression, whether at a bedside in the hospital or teaching a child about Jesus' love, or in a prison in Syria. It's all part of what God was doing when God stirred life in Sarah's womb, when God removed that stone from the tomb of Jesus, when God stirs up faith in the depth of your heart. Claim that faith. It's God's gift. And God makes you a part of that creation work. To him be all glory, honor, and praise now and forever. Amen.